the point of these teachings is, is really to touch our heart and to cause our heart to really uh, be knitted in a way with God that it has never been before in the way that we're teaching it. Um, I know that I tend to be very scholarly sometimes when I'm teaching. Probably some of that is going to hit today, but I really want us to more focus on our heart because I believe that is the catalyst that is going to sustain us in the days and weeks to come. And um, so, Father, I just thank you right now in the name of Jesus for bringing us together. I thank you for what you're going to do in the midst of this teaching. I thank you, Father, that our thoughts and our considerations um, will be focused exclusively on you. And, Father, I thank you that we're able to see through these teachings just how much we focus on ourselves and what you're doing with us, for us, and through us. And sometimes we forget to just look at you and say, wow, look at this God we serve who longs for all of his attention to be on us, who longs for us to always think about how much he loves us, how much he wants to be with us, how much he is concerned with us. And but Father, we thank you that in the midst of that, that we never forget your testimony, that we never forget that no matter how much we have been through, no matter how much we have had to endure, it does not compare to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Your scripture tells us profoundly, Lord, that though we esteem or though we elevate the testimony of man, your testimony is greater. The testimony of Jesus Christ is greater because we know Jesus is the word made flesh. We know that Jesus is, is it was you. Lord God, in the earth, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for making that plain and clear. So Lord, we thank you for not causing us to be confused about that. We thank you for letting, you, letting us know all that you have set before us. Touch our hearts today, Lord. Touch our hearts like you have never touched it in us in the way that you have designed it for this day. Father, I thank you that we are people that can lay down what we knew yesterday and pick up something fresh and new today. I thank you that we are learners. I thank you, Lord, that we are talking about the light in the kingdom, that we're not talking anything new age or crazy or weird. And Father, whatever religious system that still has our minds bound, we ask that you begin to release those chains in the name of Jesus just by our being teachable and present. We ask you, God, to continue doing that for us and that we don't resist you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So good morning. We're going to be talking about the life of God, but we're going to look at the thought life of God. And I think this subject is really, 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 really important to us right now as we see so much contention still existing within the body of Christ and among believers. And I believe the Lord wants us to see how profound his thought life is when it comes to what he eternally wants to present before us. 
So we already know about the Scribal Conservatory. We're going to just leave this up a second and move forward. Um, we know that this is how we get in touch with the conservatory. I want to thank those of you who take the time to stay in touch. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. I get good reports. So thank you. Our Bible study is Tuesday night. So I hope to see, I hope to see you all joining that particular call on Tuesday. So just be encouraged. We are moving forward. Um, yes. So. That's where we are right now with this. I want to just, again, we're talking about the life of God. And I'm going to ask you a few questions as we move through this. And I love this picture here of the lion and the cub. It's just a beautiful picture to me from the stock photo shot site that I get my images from. And I just believe that this image just gives us a lot to think about in relation to this question. So the question I have before you right now is, what does, the, what does God meditate on? What is he meditating on today? What are his thoughts? What is in his thoughts? What does he consider and why is it important to us today? Who even thinks of this? So I'm going to ask you just, have you ever just thought about not what God thinks of you, not what God is saying right now concerning this situation or that situation, but what is God meditating on? What is it that he keeps in his heart, you know, day and night? What is it that he is considering in this very moment that's beyond any of our earthbound situations or circumstances? What has he thought and what has that looked like? And I believe we need to ask this question to ourselves because we're living in a world where we are constantly, and I mean constantly, thinking of how he loves us. But I often challenge people when they think of this question to say literally, you know, not just how does he love us, but how does he want to be loved? How does he want to be loved? It's one thing to think of how he loves us, but to reach the fullness of what we have, he has for us, we must ask the, the corresponding question, how do you want to be loved, God? And then the question that supports that is, what is my role in loving you? You know, we understand this when it comes to marriage. We understand this, this on some level when it comes to friendship. We understand this on some level when it comes to leadership, mentorship, um, spiritual relationships, pastoral relationships, apostolic relationships. We understand it then because we're looking at that relationship well, we should be from a reciprocal point of view. But sometimes I don't think we look at God from a reciprocal point of view. You know, other than us holding our hands up, rocking back and forth, thinking we're worshiping him. Not understanding that true worship is how you live your life before him. Not the words and the songs and the music that carries you um, from one moment to the next. That kind of worship is for you. That kind of worship is for you. That kind of worship is for 
you, it makes you feel like you're connecting to him. Real worship is how you live your life before him. It's the truth that you are living that's giving him what he wants. So, you know, it's it's so amazing when we recognize that um, we are moving toward giving God what he desires, not just getting what we need, not just worrying about that prophetic word coming to pass, not spending 15 weeks depressed because nobody's prophesying to us. None of those things. See, those are the kinds of things we think about. It's all about what God desires. What does God meditate on? every day what is he meditating on right now what is in his thoughts what does he consider on a daily basis and why is it important to us today and am i even thinking of it this just gives us a different way and a different perspective on um, how we might consider god but it also allows us to look at God's life. And I just want you to think about that for a moment. How would you feel if all you did all day long was serve people, give, give, give to them, and they just keep coming back for more and they're giving nothing to you? That's pretty much God's life. That's, you know, that's, I mean, listen, and again, I want to just give you the example. How can I say that? Because when God started over after um, Genesis 6, we see the flood, we see men and angels, women and angels, we see all those things taking place. We get there and we see God down to one person. After having the whole earth full of people, it comes down to one righteous man, Noah. <laughs> I mean, my God, and then the people he brought by default that were his family. Then you go all the way through the scriptures and you see God saying, I'm looking for an intercessor. Where can I find one? Is there just one? But we're looking at all of these prophets, right? We're looking at all of these um, people who are doing things for God. But there he is still looking for an intercessor. Still searching, prophet after prophet after prophet, priest after priest after priest. And if we look at it, they're, they're doing sacrifices and offerings all the time. But there is God still looking for an intercessor. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was profound. And we think we're suffering, right? He had to raise up Jesus just to have the perfect intercessor. He had to raise up Christ just so he could fulfill all the covenant and then place him on his right-hand side so he can intercede day and night. Oh, um, I just think about it. You know, we, we spent a lot of time praying in the spirit. But the perfect intercessor, the one we really come in agreement with, is on the right hand of the Father. 
So even as we come in agreement with in the earth realm, we're also coming in agreement with the intercessory realm of Jesus. So this kind of explains a little bit of my comment last week, because I know I may have offended people when I was talking about your intercessory realm, because I believe sometimes we forget who we are agreeing with. It's not just that we, the, the two gathering in his name and anything you agree, agree on in earth, that's true. But there is also the intercessory realm of Jesus. And we all come into agreement with him. We all come into agreement with him. We all come into an agreement with him. But how can we do that if we really don't understand the thought life of God, which is the thought life of Christ? which is the mind of Christ that is daily being pressed against us and in us and through us and for us on our behalf. Oh my gosh. That intercessory mind of Jesus is the level that we have to come to. And Jesus prays from a position of it already being done. He prays from a position of standing in agreement that it is finished. He, somebody will get that later. I know that's too theologically heavy if we are heavily into the way people do it and we really hadn't studied out the intercessory realm of Jesus in the new covenant. We still basing everything that we do on the old covenant. We're practicing Judaism in a new covenant church. But that's, you know, for those who can catch it. And I don't mean that facetiously or being mean. There is a new revelation of that. There really is. And a posture that we need to stand in. It doesn't mean that God is not answering. Because God is so humble that he meets us wherever we are. He knows we don't know any better. We're still learning. He knows our heart is pure. So that all that theology really doesn't matter to God because he knows what it is that we intend because he sees the thoughts of our hearts. Let the word, let the meditate, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, oh God. Scriptures tell us God searches the heart. It never said God searches our theology. It never said God searches our doctrine. It never said God searches what the prophets said. In the new covenant, it's, uh, it's the heart of man broken before God that he searches. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. So I was praying and throwing oil for years, not realizing that all my faith was in the oil and not in Jesus. When I realized that my faith was in Jesus, whether I threw oil or not didn't matter because faith is the currency of the kingdom in the new covenant. 
God's thought life. Oh my God, that's why the man, could, the, the centurion could come up to Jesus and say, I'm a man of authority too, because he understood that all he needed was a word. All he needed was a word. He said, Jesus could have showed up. Jesus could have stretched out over the body of the person that had died. Jesus could have spoke a word. He could have rabbi shot. But the man said, my faith is at a level because I understand authority. Oh, my goodness. Nothing wrong with throwing oil, buying handkerchiefs. Getting anointed prayer shawls. If that's where your faith is, go for it. But if it's not there and it's in a different elevated place where you know you don't need all those external things for your authority as a son to come forth because you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, all you need is faith enough to believe that in your body right now. What does God's thought life look like in his life? Oh, my goodness. When we put our agenda, our opinions aside, what is the thought life of God really like? What is it really like? And Father, I just thank you for those, Lord, that will have a hard time with this message today. I thank you that they will just consider the thought life of God outside of what people have taught them, that we are able to ascend in our thinking beside, outside of grandma's doctrine, granddaddy's doctrine, the denomination that we love and we worship. God, help us to see the heart of what is being shared today so that we will know what will matter. I love this picture. <laughs> I really do because we need to recognize the Lamb of God and what really took place on the cross and the power not only that we were given, but that resides on the inside of us. We have more than any generation that has come before us. How can we say that? We all had the Holy Spirit, but they didn't have the revelation that has opened up in this century. They didn't have that. They didn't have the technology that has helped open up the revelation in this century. They weren't living in this time. They were living in their time. Every generation, meaning every generation of people that's living will have a different revelation that built on the generation before that, that should take them further and farther than they have ever been before. And we should be bold enough to go besides dealing with what's popular and what everybody else like and all of those kinds of things. I'm telling you, I want my faith to believe that the authority of Jesus is enough. Oh my goodness. Have we considered God's exemplary thought life? 
Have we considered God's exemplary thought life and quest for us to have one as well? I challenge you today to believe that God wants you to have an exemplary thought life. I just want that to rest right there. An exemplary thought life. And we're just going to define thought life this way. The focus of your mental attention, considerations, or even mental purpose. Oh, my goodness. Mental attention. I could have said spiritual attention, but you have a lot of believers that can give attention to the spirit, but outside of that, their mind has gone wild. So that's why I wrote it like this. Because there are a lot of people that can be spiritually put together in a disaster outside of their spiritual reality. Mind is just everywhere, thinking the worst of everything. Oh, my goodness. An exemplary thought life is able to focus on our mental attention, not just spiritual attention. It's easy to put a song on and get lost in it and find peace. It's easy to be like Saul with David. But can you be like David not needing a Saul? Right? Like Saul not needing. Can you be like David not needing someone to nurture your stability? God wants to get us to a place where we have an exemplary thought life like him. That's what the mind of Christ is. The mind of Christ is not quoting scriptures. The mind of Christ is not knowing how all the scriptures run together. An unbeliever can do that. But it's having the revelation that I need to be able to control my mental thoughts as well as my spiritual thoughts, because in the mind of Christ, they are one. Have we considered God's exemplary thought life and his quest for us to have one? Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, for those that need an exemplary thought life. God, I remember when I was up one day, down the next. I was happy one day, depressed the next. I was medicated one day, unmedicated the next. Spent most of my life on medication. But God, in the midst, there you were, removing it from me. And I had the faith, God, to believe that I could be free. Not trying it in a hesitant place. But Lord, one day waking up, mind clear. We declare that 
over those who are medicated even as they are on this particular service in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. We're in a generation, God, where people teach it's okay to be on medicine and all that. Lord, I agree until it becomes a part of the norm, until we accept it as if there is no alternative, until we make that God Lord, no, we bring that back into the kingdom and we do what is necessary without, Lord, killing the belief that we can be free, whole and healed in Jesus' name. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you, God, that we can be free, whole and healed. And that those who need the medication are not in the wrong mind thinking that this is the way it's always going to be. There is always hope. There is always faith. And Lord, we stand in that place right now in Jesus' name. Where is that exemplary thought life? Oh my goodness all that God has been through in his life and he kept an exemplary thought life. Oh my God. Have you ever asked the Lord, what is your thought life like, God? What is it like? God's thoughts or his eternal awareness of his reality, not ours. God's thoughts are his eternal awareness of his reality, not ours. Say that again. God's thoughts are his eternal awareness of his reality. His reality is our reality if we're able to enter into his thoughts. But if we're not able to enter into his thoughts and meditate on his thoughts and focus on his thoughts, we're living in a a reality that is not eternal. That's just, that doesn't mean we ignore what's around us. We ignore the pain in our body. We ignore the um, need to go to school. We ignore the need to work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying understanding that even though we live this life in these physical bodies in this earth for a time and a lot of time, that life does not end when we exit this place. There is an eternal realm. It's that place that we've talked about many times before of being in the world, but not of it. It's that place of understanding the reality of transformation. Oh my goodness. Yes, thank you. It's Romans 12 and 2. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our transformation in the kingdom is spiritual. That's why Jesus was fully walking in his best day even though he was beaten and on his way to the cross. 
seems like his worst day when we're looking at it in the flesh. But the thought life going on right there is what we need to count on. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Those who suffer for Christ's sake, rejoice. So those kinds of things look like oxymorons. They look ridiculous if you are earthbound. But if you are able to tap into Romans 12 and 2, if you're able to fight and contend for your faith in that area, oh my goodness, there's a peace that we can tap into that transforms us. The mind of Christ is trying to push us into the thought life of God. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. If we can just want this, even if we don't understand it all, if we could just long for this, even if we're not sure what it really is, if we can trust God at a level for him to guide us through. Because I want God's thought life to be my thought life. I hope you can make that declaration with me right now. I want my thought life to be God's thought life. I want God's thought life to be my thought life. Said that wrong. I want God's thought life to be my thought life in Jesus' name. I want the mind of Christ. I want the mind of Christ. And if you think about how you've been taught about the mind of Christ, we see that idea as doing all the right things, right? That's what we will see it as. We will see it as all the things we need to do. If I fast more, if I pray more, if I, that's what that means. If we don't understand that the mind of Christ is not just that. It's all the stuff on the outside. But what it needs to be is all the stuff on the inside. All of your fears turning to perfect love. All of your hopes turning to the promises of God and believing that he's going to fulfill those. And I'm talking about the promises of God, not the promise that you're going to be this and you're going to be that before men. We're not talking about that stuff right now because most people are always looking at the external things that God does that make them great before people, which, you know, is weird, but that's, the state of Christianity. That's how we do church. Our thought life is not where it needs to be. Everybody wants all of these external things to show that God is with them when the true testimony of God being with you is your peace and your obedience in the midst of it. The mind of Christ is what is needed. Oh my goodness. Having an exemplary thought life does not mean it comes pain-free or trouble-free. God's past reveals that. 
And why do I say God's past? Because if you understand what Christ has really done, and if we really recognize that he is the ultimate intercessor, that we are just coming alongside him, that we are walking in the mind of Christ concerning intercession, if we get that place, then we'll understand that God is at peace. Oh my goodness. God is not worried about what's happening down the street. It's not a burden to him because he has already won. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I pray you all are listening. I hope that you are following because, you know, we, we, I just, God is at peace. He's in as much a state of rest as he was in Genesis 2 when he completed everything that he created, except this rest is permanent. God doesn't have another rest coming to him. There is no other rest coming to Jesus. There is no other resurrection that's going to take place. There's no moment in time that will ever be the catalyst that those three days were when they took place over 2,000 years ago. That will never happen again. It will never happen again. It will never happen again. So if that is true, then what role do we play in that right now? Oh my goodness, it's in our mind. It's in our mind. Having an exemplary thought life does not mean it comes pain-free or trouble-free. It means that as we walk into God's future past, we understand that he has won. Regardless of what is happening, my life is eternal. Your life is eternal. And God's past reveals that. God will never tarry with the Israelites around the mountain again. He'll never tarry with the church around the mountain again. God said, this is it. This is what I've done through my son, Jesus. Take it or shake it. And basically, that's what he said. He said, my peace, I leave with you. I leave. He didn't say you got to. He got to bring it back again. He said, I've already left it with you. He, I mean, he doesn't have to leave it again. We have to figure out how to access what he left. Again, we must figure out how to access what has already been left for us. We have to figure out how to access what is already in our hand. Oh, his present teaches us how to manage the thought life expertly and properly. Now, I want you to just consider this. And this is a homework assignment for those of you who are bold enough to study this out and who really want to understand. You're not just going to go and leave and remember everything grandma taught and challenge this because you don't like it. I'm just believing that you're going to take the time to study this out. 
because everything God teaches us about our own thoughts, everything he has given us and instructed us to do has been about changing our perspectives and shifting them toward him in eternity. That you cannot deny. Oh my goodness. His present teaches us how to manage our own minds. I just want to go back to that definition real quick. The focus of our mental attention. Because listen, we, 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 we look, if you're focusing your mental attention and your considerations and your love and your life on Jesus, that is spiritual. It's not an either or. It is spiritual. We talked about that last week in our discussion part. I don't believe we recorded it, but we did talk about that. Oh my goodness. We're just going to go and look at some scriptures um, that I really want to share with you today. So we're going to start. Um, I think I have them in order. Some of them are real short, but I want to go back to Genesis 2 and share a couple of things with you. So just hold on to that for a moment. Where are my scriptures? Here they are. Okay. Um, so where are we? Okay, Genesis 2. I just want to look at this. Just walk through with me as I read. And I want you to see how God is thinking. So we already know about the seven days. We're not going to go back there, but you can go back and read it on your own time. And I want you to just, what are you thinking, God, as you do this? What's happening? So Genesis 2 says this, um, thus, maybe I can, I'll just use this version. Thus, the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. At this point, everything that ever was and ever would will be as far as creation, not the human part, but as far as everything in the earth is already done. And listen, this is important because that meant that everything he created had a sustaining component to it. In other words, the insects, in order to keep going, had to multiply. The animals already had to be able to multiply. The trees already had to understand the times and the seasons. The, the dirt in the, uh, that would be blown away by the wind already had to have some um, ecological process. There had to be something already in all of those things taking place that enabled it to sustain itself. Because God said he was finished. Can you imagine him having to create a this and a that? Because eternity existed then. And he had intended. And I want, I want to show you something else that we often miss. So this account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had appeared yet on the earth 
Okay, we're getting there. No plant had yet sprung up for the Lord got not yet sent rain on the earth and there was no work to the ground. I want you to see this part. There was no one to work the ground. Now he's done all this creation and they're giving us the backstory to Adam and Eve. That's what's happening here. There are two creation accounts. The first one is where we get the seven days. That's Genesis one. But this is like a summary where we get the parts that shows how people fit in. So when he said the seventh day and he had made everything, all of the plants and all of that was done, but God was already considering the next step. I want you to see this. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord had not yet sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Why am I sharing this with you? Because it was always God's plan for man to care for the earth. So in his thought life, he's worked out how the earth cares for man, how man cares for the earth. He's worked out how everything is going to live, how's everything's going to sustain itself. He already told man they could eat. So we know they were going to eat, which meant some trees and plants were going to die. So we know death in some form was already taking place, but it was death to life because what men ate would give them life. So all of the substance of what God created would continue. I just want you to kind of see this with me for a moment so I can just show you something that I think is powerful, powerful. We think all death took place after the fall, but there were things happening in this paradise before that moment that would sustain humankind. Now the Lord had planted a garden. Oh, he's planting a garden. He's God didn't just, he planted a garden. Thoughts, thoughts. He was already thinking about rain. He was already thinking about water. He, oh, he, these things are already in his consciousness. The Lord made all things of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God wanted to see what man was going to do with the opportunities presented to them. So God had a challenging side to himself. God was, could, I mean, the Lord was having fun. He was enjoying this. Are you all able to see his thought life? Are you able to see some of the things that are being revealed about him? If we just look, he doesn't, doesn't want to be bored. He doesn't want just robots rolling around. He's going to see how these things are going to play out. He was enjoying every bit of this. Oh my goodness, a river watering the garden flowed out of Eden. And from there, it was separated into four headwaters. Who thinks of something like that except God? The name of the first was, was we're not going to pronounce that. It's winds through the entire land. Winds? Oh my goodness. There was gold. Uh, thought life. 
Oh my God. The name of the second river was Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Kush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. We know Tigris, however you say it. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the four, I mean, the Euphrates, we're looking at all of this. And we all know the Euphrates. We know these places. We've studied them. The Lord God took man and he put him in the garden to work it. God always intended us to be an intimate part of every single thing he created. Not some things, but every single thing he created. And he put us there to care for it. Not just to eat from it, but to care for it. So for those of you who feel inclined to um, hug trees and save the ants, this is, you know, find yourself here, locate yourself. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And he gave him one command. And listen, this is why the thought life to me is so important. Because God wanted, oh my God, God wanted to be chosen by the very human he made. And he made opportunities for the human that he decided, I'm not going to control you. I'm going to give you the freedom to choose me. I've put life and death before you. I've put everything you need before you. I've given you days and years and I've given you my very breath. I've given you my very attention. I, and all I want you to do is grab my thought process concerning all of this. Oh my God. Can you see the Lord just wanting us to choose his mind. We make it complicated. We make it complicated. But all he wants is for us to participate fully without hindrance in what he created. Oh man, yes, he wants us engaged not just involved. And he goes a step further. He says, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree. Listen, in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the, the people without the spirit will say, well, if he God, why did he even do that? Because if he a God, he could have just took the tree out. Well, if he's an adventurer, if he's a creator, if he wants people to interact with him, if he likes newness, if he wants to see how we evolve, if he wants to see all that we can do, and he wants to see it, from our engagement with his mind and his heart 
and his will and his emotions. He wants us to choose him. Only love would want to do something like that. Remember, the word, the word for love used to describe God is the word ahava. And it means to give marriage, give marriage covenant, give covenant. God was looking for covenant. He was looking for people who would appreciate all that he had given. He wanted to... People that he knew would take that gold and turn it into something fabulous. He wanted people that could take those that wood from trees and make major things for it. He wanted people who had part of his omnificence on the inside of them that could discover a metal and turn it into a car, a stove. Oh my God, God was looking for us to evolve and grow with him oh my god but then he says it is not good for man to be alone how in the world did he know that wow i've heard some interesting teachings on this and i know you have too some of them were very good but i like to think here how does God know about loneliness in this sense? Oh man, it is not good for humanity, this one human right now, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God wanted us to have someone comparable to who we were. We are made in his likeness and image. So God was looking for someone outside of himself different from him that he could commune with. Oh, man. It's more than just Adam and Eve. It's more than that taking place here. God wanted companionship. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild, uh, all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Oh, look at the thought life of God. Hmm. Here's that thought life showing up big as day. He brought them to the man to see what the man would name him. Whoa, proof and evidence that God wants us included. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a, a deep sleep. God understood loneliness. God understood belonging and being a part. God understood community. God understood giving good gifts, just like we want as those with children. All we think about is, I will give my life. I would do anything for my children to be happy. I would do anything to take away their pain. I would do anything for them to love God like I do, and even more. I would, but this is what God is saying toward us. All of those paternal and maternal feelings that He has. He gave us 
he gave us. He gave us the nurturing anointing of his spirit. He gave us the apostolic mind of the protector. He gave us those things because those are things that are in his thoughts and in his heart. But we dare say, God, where are you? The question is, Adam, where are you? <laughs> That's the question. It's not a question of where God is. It's a question of where our mind is, where our thought is, because God's thoughts are really clear. They're clear. There's no shaking in his thoughts concerning us. But there's no shaking in his thoughts, period. God wanted to make him a world where he could interact in, not just a world for us to interact in, but where he could be a part of us. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Last verse, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Oh man, not only did he want to create this with us, but it was God's entire design for us to be shameless guiltless for us to be whole and healthy and and listen people are you, you know when we read this we feel as if all of this is still taking place but this is this is the kicker jesus restored it all jesus reset all of this jesus reset everything that was destroyed by the fall and if you don't believe that, we've missed the gospel. There is no curse that we're under anymore because Jesus restored it. If you say yes, and you get, when you say it, you confess your sins and you repent, we give Holy Spirit access. We're restored. All of it is restored. We're just working it out. Oh my goodness. I'm not going to go through that, but I, I, but you can study it. Look at what Jesus accomplished. Read the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Read the co new covenant promise and the new covenant scriptures. We're under a new covenant. New is new, not old. New means the old has passed away and all things have become new. The mind of Christ is not the old mind. It's not the past of God. It's the right now presence of God. I want to show you something because I want us to um, see this a little bit different. I want you to see God trying, after all, whatever broke loose, we see God constantly chasing people. Remember, I told you he was a micromanager in the old covenant. He's not in the new covenant. He doesn't, 
He chases you to love you in the new covenant until you just show that you don't want to. And then you won't see that pursuit. We have to stir up the pursuit again because we've gotten so far away from him. It's not that he's leaving us. He never leaves us, but we pull away. That's the way it works in the new covenant. In the old covenant, he let people go by zapped up ground open. New covenant, he doesn't do that. In the new covenant, whatever choice we make, we end up suffering the consequences of those choices by the things we decide. Well, I'm not going to do this. Then your whole life is based on your declaration because you will have what you say. You will have what you say. Well, anyway, I want you to see something in the old covenant real quick. I want you to just see this. So it says, we're going to read from the Amplified. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders in the exile and to the priests and prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that's there. So we know that these people are in exile. And from, from a new covenant perspective, we're pressing this under the new covenant right now. So we're looking at this. We're looking, oh my God, what's happening in the world? Trouble is all around us. God, we can't even be in our hometown. Uh, you know, we can't do what we want to do to serve you. Everybody's telling us we can't do this and can't do that. And so we've been exiled to a place. So that's how we should interpret this right now. We're not looking at Jeremiah. We're not even looking at Nebuchadnezzar. We're just looking at this situation. So we get down to um, verse four and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon says, Neb, I'm sorry, not, not Nebuchadnezzar, but the letter says this. So this is what the Lord says to you. And we're going to say it this way. This is what the Lord says to you people left in the world when everything is going haywire. This is what the Lord is saying to those who are his. These are his thoughts concerning what is happening in Babylon. And this is, and this is how your, his people should posture themselves. He says, so says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the captives, build houses and live in them. Wow, God wants us to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat fruit. Oh, we, we, he want us to plant gardens and eat fruit. All hinting to the peace that was in the paradise from the very beginning. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. In other words, Teresa, in other words, Prophet L.A., in other words, Prophet Andre, I want you to live. I want you to make the best of the time that you have. I know you're in exile. I know you're in Babylon. I know trouble is all around, but I'm showing you how I'm thinking. I'm giving you my mind in the midst of this. I'm telling you what to do around this situation. And if you don't think that's the truth, I'm going to show it to you in the new covenant. It says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat fruit. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply. And so remember in their time, their multiplication, they were raising sons and daughters in the Lord. They were teaching them to trust God at all of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, was still in the hearts and minds 
of those who the Lord is speaking to in this passage. So they understood the underlying requirements of sonship. They understood the requirements of sonship. So verse seven, seek the peace and well-being for the city where I have sent you. Oops. Okay, that hasn't changed in all the Bible. Seek the peace and well-being of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on this behalf. We pray for the Lord of the harvest in the new covenant for in its peace and well-being, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. This is how God thinks. Do not let your false prophets, what? God knew that even among the exiles, even the people coming to church every Sunday, there were false prophets there. He already knew that. He already knew. Do not let your false prophets who are among you and your diviners, your witches, witchcraft, those playing sorcery, those bringing you into more bondage, pay no attention to them. What? That means I don't have to give a sermon on haters every week, that I don't have to write books and whole, whole conferences about Jezebel. Is that I don't have to do it? What? Because God, you want me to build the kingdom? Can that really be true? This is old covenant and you're just telling me to build the kingdom, right? You're just telling me to build the kingdom, to multiply where I am. To, it's, I know this is taking off some people, but I want you to go and check it out because it's the same message of the new covenant. Do not let your false prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Ooh, so we need to deal with these false people in the church. That's the problem. Pay no attention and attach no significance to the dreams which they dream. Oh, Apostle, I got this new book you should read. It's talking about how to pray and how to go to the courts of this and the courts of that. Oh, really? Well, I have direct access to God. I don't need an alternative court. But that's just where my faith level at. I have direct access. I don't need another method. But you can do that. Go ahead if that's where you're at. Listen, I know this is ticking y'all off. Some people are probably going to drop the call right now. Never speak to me again. But that's okay. We need to know what we have. Because this is where the mind of God is. In the new covenant. Not your mind, but the mind of God and the one, the thoughts of God, the desire of God, the will of God to believe his word. The parts of the covenant that lives within Christ in this transformed way. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years of exile have been completed for Babylon, I will visit, inspect you, and keep my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me. And you will come and pray to me 
and I will hear your voice and I will listen to you. Then with deep longings, you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity. And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found, says the Lord. I will restore. I will free. I will gather you from all nations and all places. Oh my goodness. I'm applying it from a new covenant perspective. God's thoughts are so different from our thoughts. They're so different from our thoughts. And we need to understand how God thinks. And it's the nature of religion to always want to think of God in his past. I keep saying to us, God has a past, but God is trying to bring us into his now. He's trying to bring us into his presence. He's trying to bring us into what he's saying in this moment where we are alive, where we have a new covenant, where he's doing everything new. His heart for us has not changed since the beginning of time, but his methods have. His methods have changed. His methods have changed. Were it not so, he would not have sent Jesus. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Read John 1. It tells you Jesus is God. The whole thing. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Verily, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Wow. I remember Moses said, who, who, who do I say that you are? And Jesus and God said, I am the I am. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, my goodness. And Jesus also said, I can't say anything except what the father says. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. John 10 and 30, I and the father are one. Oh, my God. While we wait on the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh my God, I am that I am. I am that I am. And we're being called to the I am. We are in the I am. We are in the I am. The I am is in us. Oh my goodness. I just want to tell you, I can't get away from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The mind of God, the thoughts of God. The very first message Jesus preached in the earth. If I was Jesus, if you were Jesus, and we had to deliver the most important message in the history of the scriptures, the most pertinent message, 
the most critical message that set the tone of the gospel. The ultimate word. Then what in the world is God thinking about? What are God's thoughts behind what he is saying? Oh my goodness. Listen. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. In order for Jesus to do that, he saw the sick, he saw the thieves, he saw the murderers, he saw the rapists, he saw the cricket believers, he saw the witches, he saw, he saw everything that we love pointing out today. He saw, he saw all the dirt done under the sun. He saw the fornicators, the shackers. He saw every, the adulterers. He, he saw it all. That's why he had compassion. That's why he had compassion. That is why he felt so weighted to teach. But the first words out of his mouth was this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I'm going to do this in a um, different Bible. I hope my the one I need pops up. Nope. Um, hold on. Let's do, give me a minute. Mm, I hope you all are following and that you're blessed. So it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them saying, now look, he saw the crowds, but his disciples were with him too. He saw the crowds, but his disciples were with him too. So everybody is being taught. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance those who regard themselves as insignificant for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over the sins and repent. Very important that we understand this about mourning because in that culture to mourn meant something completely different. Go study it out. He's dealing with them in the midst of their belief system and what they already understood at that time about him. He's challenging all of these things that were not a part of or walked out this way in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, he's redefining a lot of their cultural and their belief systems. He's doing that here by telling them, this is what matters to me. God is revealing what matters to him more than anything else. Let's read it a different way. It matters to me that you are poor in spirit, devoid of arrogance. Those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It, it, I think about that you, the fact that you mourn over sin. I want you to mourn over sin. And I want to comfort those who mourn over sin. I want you to see he's saying in verse five, blessedly are the gentle, 
In other words, I'm with those who are gentle hearted. I'm with those who are sweet spirited. I'm with, I want you to be like, my thoughts are for you to be like this. I want the, the gentle people to inherit the earth. I want the sweet spirited people to inherit the earth. I want those who have self-control to inherit the earth. And I want to bless you. His thoughts. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need you to be immersed. I need you to drown in me. My thoughts are here. I, my thoughts are for righteousness. You will be satisfied if you seek righteousness, not, not the religious aspect of righteousness, not the doing, but the, but the righteousness of the heart, the rending and the maturation of the heart. We want to make that clear because we don't want nobody to go home and stop smoking, but they still want to 10 years from now. We're not talking about that. That's not a sacrifice. God is looking for people who, who, oh my God, I'm going to lick this addiction. I'm going to beat it, God. I'm going to, you set up, and then they get the testimony of Jesus on the inside of them, and they no longer have desire for it anymore. That is what God is talking about. Those that are able to press into that place until they are oblivious to who they used to be. I don't have a taste for that anymore. I don't care about gossip anymore. I don't need um, reality shows to fulfill me. I don't, look, I'm just living life. I'm happy because I've tapped into a greater happiness that I didn't knew I could attain, but I pushed until it came to me and I crossed over into it. I'm not trying to figure it out. I just know that if I want it bad enough, increase my desire so I can be in this place of satisfaction. Because only hunger and thirst for righteousness can push us into that place. Oh my God. Blessed are the merciful. What? Jesus. God, your thoughts are for me to be merciful. This is the first thing you're giving these people. Because in the old covenant, you said, scatter your enemy. In the old covenant, you said, I for an eye. In the old covenant, you, you know, we like, what? Let's do them again. Let's send the army in That was the old covenant. But now he's telling them, we don't do it that way. Be merciful. I just, I want you to be merciful. I want you to be merciful. I want you to practice mercy every day. I can't even watch the news anymore because there's no mercy. Somebody do one thing wrong and it's a whole thing. Where is the mercy of the church? We expect this from the world system, but not from the congregation. I, I'm not going to go through all of these. Well, I'm going to go through this last one because it's one of my favorites. Blessed, anticipating God's presence and spiritually mature are the pure in heart. Purity of heart is about maturity in your love. In your love, listen, with integrity, moral courage, and godly character. So should I be going downtown screaming at people because they're sinning? Is that what I'm supposed to do in my calling? Is that, am I supposed to always remind people how bad they are? Is that what I'm, 
listen, religion has really hurt us. It's really hurt us. But here's God saying, my thoughts are for you to always have a pure heart concerning other people, operate in integrity, operate in moral courage, operate in godly character. And I, because you'll see me, you'll, you'll, you will see me, you will see me, you'll see me, you'll see me, you'll see me come through you. You'll see me reach people that other people could not. You'll see me open a door for you to correct things that are misaligned. You'll see me, you'll see me do it. You'll see me do it. Just be kind. You'll see people that other folks rejected coming to you left and right, wanting the truth because you're merciful. Your heart is pure. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're gentle. See, we see these kinds of things and people as a weakness, but they're God's greatest strength. And how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? Because you are sitting here with me right now. That's how I know. We are people full of secrets. There are people listening that have criminal backgrounds. There are people here who have done things they'll never tell you. They participated in activities that only God knows about. But yet you are here. Loving God. Ministered to a man one time that secretly that came to the conference and secretly told me he had killed a man. And he, he said he'd done his time. And he just could not overcome the guilt of what he had done. He couldn't, he was not convinced that God had forgiven him. He was in a drunken rage at a nightclub, cracked somebody across the head and they died. He didn't mean for the person to die, but they died. He took a life. And the only thing keeping him from really walking in his freedom was the fact that he could not let that go. The ministers and I gathered around him that were more mature than I was because that was a long time ago with this particular situation. And they prayed for him. That man preaching and teaching and everything today. They stayed around him. I was a part of the prayer, but I wasn't a part of his development. And I thank God every day when I see that testimony. I met a man years ago that was coming to all of our conferences. He was a part of us. I, I flew all the way to Arkansas to spend time with him and his wife. And he said, I want to be a part of what you're doing. God is using me. But I was in jail for 15 years for child rape. And I know I can't come to your conference because you have children there. I'm still under the new laws that have been enacted about those kinds of things. Look, I'm the, I, I couldn't believe the compassion God gave me for that man. And he became an intricate part of our ministry, but he couldn't participate in certain things because we honored the law. He was forgiven. And I told him, I said, listen, if you come to any of our meetings, I have to let people know what you did. You're welcome to come, but one of the aspects of healing is that you need to own what you did. Don't hide it. It's all over the internet anyway. But people need to know because not everybody is comfortable with that, and that is the law. 
So your consequences still follow you, even though forgiveness is for you. That was an amazing encounter. He passed away while still a part of this ministry. And I was able to minister to his wife for years after he left. Absolutely, somebody just private texted me. It's the same kind of situation when people have gone through abortion. We have to let people know that God is a healer and that he can forgive anything, has forgiven anything. We don't know what a person's last moment is. But I tell you this, his thoughts toward us feels this. His thought, his thoughts, not my thoughts toward a person, not your neighbor's thoughts toward a person, but his thoughts steal this. Whatever you have done and whatever the consequence of that, because some of us escape consequences and we don't know why. I'm one of them. I'm like, some of this stuff, but, I, but we really don't. We pay in some way. And what I mean by that, God is not punishing us, but there are fallout from our lives as a result of what we do. But God makes us new because his thoughts settle it. Even for those who've had abortions. And we need to talk about that because the world we live in today, especially amidst our faith, uh, makes the way that people push that and push that issue, it's like constant condemnation laying before people. But we have to be convinced that God has already moved past what we did. His thoughts. My thoughts, he says, are not your thoughts. My ways, he says, are not your ways. This is why. Because his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And the mind of Christ is a wonderful, necessary gift given to us to help us reach that place. I can tell you, and some of you can say amen on this. I am not who I used to be. Who people met 20, 30 years ago, that woman is dead and gone. Dead and gone. Those of you who know me now, you know the real me. Flaws and all, but this is who I am. Not a pretend. Look yourself in the mirror and you say, the me you knew 20 years ago, 10 years, for some of you five years ago, because you're still, you, you're not the same person. You're still you, but you're not the same person. If you were in the church the last 30 years, the last 20 years, some of you have had a transformation within the last two or three years. Folks don't even know you anymore. As your thoughts elevate, as your thoughts elevate concerning your own identity, who you are, just go back, look at it, take any situation in the Bible and look for God's thoughts. What is God thinking? What is his motive behind what he's doing? Why is he making the decisions he's making? 
and then look at God today through Jesus Christ and say, why does the Lord have a different circumstance? Because he recognizes, he recognized in his own life, in God's life, he recognized I cannot micromanage men forever. I can't keep sending um, armies out to kill folks. I can't, I can't keep trying to force people to change. I've got to do something different. God, in his life, he changed his mind and made a different decision. He said, look, I'm going to send Jesus. And we're going to take care of some I need an intercessor. I'm tired of waiting on y'all. I'm not doing it anymore. I called all these people forth and not a single one of them fulfilled their destiny, even in the new covenant to the level that they should have. Not one was able to do it. There is no person in the history of the Bible that fulfilled the perfect destiny outside of Jesus. We all fall short. I've missed God. Continue to miss God on things and you will too. There is only one that is perfect. But we do the best that we can. And listen, the key to that is maturing in the mind of Christ. Our thought life is everything. It's everything. Oh my goodness, it's everything. God, how can I think like you? How can I think like you? Always merciful, always kind. How, God, can I think like you? How? I need the mind of Christ. Father, I just thank you for giving us the mind of Christ. I thank you for giving us your will, your way. I thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to step forth, Lord, to do what you have ordained for us to do in our lives. I thank you, Father, for your mercy. I thank you, Father, for your patience with me. I thank you, Father, that though I miss it, you still come alongside me and you make everything okay, God. I thank you. I thank you. And I won't give up just because I messed up today. I won't give up because of what I did last week. I won't give up for the bad decision I made concerning this situation. Lord, you're with me. I, I, I'm my bad, God, my mistake. Turn it around, God. Forgive me. I've learned the lesson. I recognize what I have done. My thoughts, Lord God, are not your thoughts. Some of the things that I think you're doing are my thoughts. Some of the things I think you said are my thoughts. In the name of Jesus, I know they are. But God, I want to know what your thoughts are concerning me. In Jesus' name, keep me broken, God. God, I, I beg you. Never let me think that I know everything about my destiny or my purpose. Never let me think that I have all the answers for everything. God, I just, I just want to know you. I want to know how you think. Teach me how to love God. Teach me to be merciful. Teach me to be full of grace because that is what you continuously think about. 
Oh, I want to be like Nissan and Mitch. Aya shokoya rabairisi. Ande akaire serere sokoya raba. I want my thoughts and my theologies moved out of the way in light of your thoughts, God. I hold on to nothing. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you all for joining today. I pray that the message blessed you. I pray that the message blessed you in Jesus' name. And um, 